Lord, we think of the Apostle Paul's confidence in praying this prayer. Lord, we think that because of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us on the cross and His righteousness imputed to us, Lord, we thank You that we can have that same boldness. Lord, I am desperate that You would work this in our hearts, in my heart, in the hearts of everyone who is gathered here this morning. Lord, we need you to work in us. We need your power in order to be able to do what we could never do. Lord, I pray that, that as I open this passage that you would be working by your spirit in every heart. Lord, that you would help us to understand what Paul meant when he prayed this prayer for the Ephesians and by extension for us. And Lord, we pray that, that you would continue to work just as you did work in Paul and you worked in those Ephesians. Lord, we, we thank you that we can be confident that you will do that same work in your people today. And Lord, so we ask that you would work powerfully for the glory of your name and for the building of your church. In Jesus' name. Well, this morning I'm called to communicate truths to you that are so amazing and so glorious that if you began to grasp them, your life would change completely. Everything would be different about your life if you began to understand the things that I'm going to be talking about this morning. But it's not possible for me, for me to be able to communicate these things to you in order for you to be able to, to really grasp them and to be able to, to take hold of these things in your lives. It is not possible for me to communicate it and it's not possible for you to understand it. I'm talking about things here this morning that are far more glorious and far more weighty than our minds can even begin to comprehend. And so try as I might, and I could use as many illustrations, as many metaphors as, as I could, but I could never get this across to you in a way that would really make a difference in your life. I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit to work in my heart and all of our hearts to understand this and to apply this in our lives. I, I pray for you all individually every week. And I, I don't, this is in no way, shape, or form to, to brag because I need to pray a lot more than I do. But it's my regular practice that, that when I go into my study to, to prepare for my sermon, I pray for you individually. Whether it's, it's for issues that, I, that I, I, I understand that you're walking through in your lives, or and, and often it's, and regularly it's, it's specifically for the application of this text that I'm going to be preaching, or that the text in general I'm going to be preaching that week. A couple days ago, as I was, was sitting at my desk, and, and, I, and I did what I, I normally do, and I, and I prayed, but I, and I, as I prayed for you all, I prayed really kind of a general prayer in relation to this text. As I sat there at my desk and, and opened up this text to read it again, I was convicted in my heart. As I thought about the fact that the Apostle Paul here says he bowed his knees before the Father to pray these things for his church. And so by God's grace, I, I got down on my knees and I prayed for you all again, individually, specifically through this text, verse by verse. I prayed for everyone who is here. I prayed for the children who are here. I prayed for the unborn children who are here that we would all get this. As we think about the things that the Apostle Paul is praying here, 
Just imagine. Imagine the difference that would be made in your life if you begin to grasp this. Imagine the difference that would be made in your family as you begin to grasp this. Imagine the difference that would be made in this church as we begin to grasp this. Imagine the difference that would be made in this community, in this city, and even further afield if we begin to grasp the things that the Apostle Paul is praying that God would help them to begin Paul would, it was praying that the Ephesians would begin to grasp. May we, by God's grace, in the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to grasp these things. Paul is about to, to pray for strength. He's praying that the Father would strengthen the church with power through His Spirit. And then he prays again that the church would have strength. And so in so doing, he's really continuing the theme of continuing the prayer that he prayed back in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. His main focus there is that the Ephesians would know the power of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That they would know that this is the same power that was at work in them. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the heavenly places at His right hand is the same power that was at work in the Ephesian Christians as, as they were raised from the dead by God and were seated by God with Christ in the heavenly places. If you were here this morning as a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, that same power is also at work in you. But then with chapter 3, the, the Apostle Paul was about to pray. He's, he's realizing the magnitude of the things that he, that he wants to share, that he wants the, the, Corinthians, the, the Ephesians rather to understand. And so he, he, wants, he knows that God needs to do it, so he, he sets out to pray. He starts out in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, but then he stopped. Remember last week from, from or the last two weeks from verses 1 to 13 we talked about, but that section is really an interruption. And the Apostle Paul had interrupted himself to, to talk again about the, the glorious mystery of the gospel that he, a persecutor of the church, was now called to teach to others. That the same one who had been persecuting the church was now a pillar of the church. But then here with verse 14, he, he now begins his prayer. Praise that the church would have strength. And so my prayer for us as we consider these things this morning is that we would also have strength. That we would have the same strength that Paul prayed that the Ephesian Christians would have. Paul is praying that the Lord would work powerfully. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and, and seated him with himself in heavenly places and, and had done that for the Ephesians. The same power that had, had broken down the wall of hostility and had united, united Jew and Gentile in one new man and given them access to him but in the throne room of God. He's praying for that power to work again. He's praying that he would do so in a way that is even more glorious than what he's talked about before. And this prayer really starts out from an exalted position and really ascends from there. This prayer includes three petitions. Each one flows into the next and each one builds onto the next and then rises to a climax in verse 19. But before we get into the, the, the content of the prayer, let's, let's just look for a second at, at who Paul is praying to. Saying, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before God the Father. Now that's new. That, that, that's a new development in the new covenant. In the old covenant, Jews were afraid to even utter the holy name of God. Lest they be found to be taking the Lord's name in vain. But now in the New Covenant, they, they, 
we find Christians here calling God Father. Paul had said in Ephesians 1.5 that, that, that we have been adopted, that God has predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters. I wonder if you understand the privilege of what it means to be able to call God Father. Girls, if you want to talk to your dad, do you have to schedule an appointment weeks in advance? Do you have to have to, to, to call his, his secretary and say, uh, I'd like to meet with, with my father um, a week from next Tuesday. Could, could you organize that for me pretty please? No. Do you have to do that? No. no. What, do you, what do you do when you, when you want to talk to your, to your father? What do you do? I try to look for You just go and talk to him. You, can, you, you have access to your Father. We have, we have access to the Heavenly Father. The God of the universe is our Father. Now, I know we can understand the, the, the nearness of God theologically. And I know that we can ex explain the intimacy of, of God as our Father mentally. But do you really get it? Do you really understand what it means that, that God is your Father? Or, or, or do you really just take it for granted? I think all of us, to some extent, take it for granted because we don't we don't pray to God as we should. And so often he's a, he's, he's a last resort instead of our first port of call. How we treat prayer as a duty instead of as a delight. Well, even with this, if you begin to get a glimpse, if you begin to get a glimpse of what the Apostle Paul is praying here, if this prayer, when this prayer is answered in your life, those things cease to be an issue for you. You will have no problem finding time to pray. It will become as natural to you as breathing. Same is true for, for every other spiritual discipline that, that God gives us, whether it's time in the Word or, or fellowship or, or service or ministry of the Gospel, whatever it is, when you begin to get this, when, when God answers this prayer in your life, everything will change. Everything will change. To, to call God Father includes reverence and includes, includes submission. And after all, the Apostle Paul hears he, he's, he's on his knees before the Lord. And I, think you, I don't think it's... it's Unfair to say that, that fathers were more respected in Paul's day than they are in our own. So often fathers are, are, are looked down on, and, and I think if you have a look at, at popular media, and you think about, about some of the fathers that are on TV and they're, or in the movies, and they're, they're viewed as oafs, aren't they? But God has something entirely different to say about fathers. We'll talk a lot more about that when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. But, but here, ultimately, this is God the Father. And we wouldn't know God the Father, or we would not know God as Father, apart from God the Son. Right? We know that, that God is a Father because God also is a Son. Father and Son, two members of the Trinity. And Jesus really told us to pray to God as Father, didn't he? He started off the, the Lord's Prayer that we'll be looking at, focusing on next summer. That, that He taught, taught us to, to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. The Apostle Paul will say in, in Romans 8 that, that by the Holy Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. So when we think about God the Father, it, it really brings into our mind, it evokes 
an image of the Trinity, doesn't it? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, you can also see each member of the Trinity clearly in the first petition of Paul's prayer, which you can find in, in verse 16 and the first part of verse 17. So there's, there's three parts of the Apostle Paul's prayer, and this first part is found in verse 16 and into the first half of verse 17. Paul prays for them that, that God would empower them through His Spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Paul prays that God would empower them through His Spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. His request is that God would do this. And that God would do it not just out of the riches, not just out of the riches of His glory, but according to the riches of His glory. Riches is a theme that, that you find repeated in this letter. What does it mean that, that God would, would give us this in, the, in, the, in accordance to the riches of His glory? Well, if a billionaire goes to a, a fundraising dinner and, and, and gives a check for $10,000. People will politely clap for him. But for a billionaire to, to give $10,000, it's like, like one of us giving $10. That's giving out of the abundance of his riches. But to give in accordance with, with the abundance of his riches, it would be like him writing a check for $100 million. When he hands over that check, people are going to gasp and they'll give him a standing ovation. But God's gifts are limitless. Because his glory is limitless. So like the, the refrain of, of chapter 1 verses 3 to 14, it is all to the praise of his glory. And so God gives us, in, in accordance with His majesty, in, the accordance with, in accordance with His glory, God blesses us with this. So even though this prayer that the Apostle Paul is, is praying here, we'll see it's, it's, it's a lofty prayer. It's, it's something that, that, that really almost, on the face of it, sounds insolent. We'll see that by the time we get to the third petition. that we could possibly dare to ask this of God. It's all for the praise of His glory. God gives us according to the abundance of His riches because He gives us His most treasured possession. What's that? He gives us His Son. God gives us His Son. And we talk about that every week here. But, but let the truths of that just wash over your mind and wash over your heart one more time. Just to, to think that God would give you and me His Son. And that's what the Apostle Paul is, is praying here. It's, this is a work of the Spirit. Now, now this, is, this is, he's already given these things to us in our salvation. But he's talking really about, about another, really another level of this. He says that this is a, a work of the Holy Spirit. That it would be through Christ in our inner being. We've already received the Holy Spirit at, at salvation, haven't we? We've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That happened when you were born again. But this is something else. This is something beyond that. This is a, a strengthening through the Spirit in the inner man, and in the inner woman, in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God's supplying divine power. And we need divine power in order to be able to receive this. You know those, those huge power lines 
that you see running in and out of the city. Do you know that the power that, that runs through those power lines comes to the substation at 115,000 volts? Imagine if you tried to plug your toaster into that. You'd incinerate not only the toast, not only the toaster, but yourself and your house with it. The power company uses power transformers and, and distributors, and, and sorry, power transformers and distribution transformers in order, and a service drop to step it down to the 120 volts that, that comes into your house. The power needs to be stepped down in order for you to be able to run your appliances safely. But what the Apostle Paul is doing here is praying the exact opposite. He's not praying that the power would be stepped down, but that we would be raised up to be able to receive that power. He's praying that God would increase your capacity to an even greater degree so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Beloved, we're not talking about a mere 115,000 volts here. We are talking about the indwelling of God the Son. Now again, as is true for the Holy Spirit, Christ already dwells in the hearts of Christians through faith. He's already explained that the, the, the church is the temple, the, the dwelling place for Christ by the Spirit. But, but Paul here prays for further indwelling with power. And this here isn't something really that, that is additional to the power of the Holy Spirit. This is all one and the same power. The result is that we are transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit to be made more like Christ. That we are filled up with Christ, so that we grow in Christ-likeness. This is the power that, that changes us. It's the power that, that in, will enable us to walk in the practical exhortations that Paul is going to turn to in the second half of this letter. This power, as glorious and as amazing as that is, leads to something even greater. Can you imagine something even greater than that? Well, look at Paul's second petition. It's, it's in the, the second half of verse 17 into the first half of verse 19. It says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is Paul's second petition. He's saying here that the result of being strengthened um, through the Spirit so that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith is that we would have strength. Right? He's, he's praying that, that, that God would give us strength so that we would have strength. But, but this isn't the, the strength of, of Brian Shaw, the, the world's strongest man. This, this man is a beast. He can, he can squat 905 pounds. He can bench press 525 pounds twice. He can deadlift 1,140 pounds. Now, now that strength is something to behold, but this is a far greater strength than that of Brian Shaw. This is the, this is the strength the strength to comprehend. But it's not even the kind of, of comprehension of Marilyn Voss Savant, who with an IQ of 228 is arguably the world's smartest person. She wrote that IQ test, the Stanford IQ test, when, when I believe she was only 12 years old. Arguably the world's smartest person. But it's not that kind of knowledge either. This isn't mere intellectual knowledge. You can't just apply your brain power to this and, and figure it all out. The Apostle Paul has just gone into great detail describing all that God had done for the Ephesian Christians and by extension, all that he has done for us in Christ. But it wasn't enough. But Paul's 
incredible description in those chapters of all that God has done for us, all that He's talking about in Ephesians so far is, is really not enough for the Ephesians to be able to get it. He, he's just said, he's even said, you can perceive my insight. You can tell that, that this guy has, has got it in a way that, that very few people do, and, and he was given it directly. That revelation came to him directly through Christ. But it still wasn't enough. So Paul prays. He prays that the Ephesians and that we would have strength. Strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he's talking about love. He's talking about love. One might ask them, what is the love that he's talking about? Is it, is it God's love or, or Christ's love or, or our love? Yes. Yes, it's, it's all three. He says specifically in, in verse 19, it's the love of Christ. But before we look at that, this is, this is the love of God in general because God is the source of that love. For all eternity, there has been Trinitarian love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Father loving the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit loving the, the Son and the Father. And the, and, the, and the love going back and forth between them. This is the eternal love of God. And that love flows to us in Christ. So it's, it's the love of God, but then in verse 19, again, specifically, it is the love of Christ. It is Christ's love because of His substitutionary work out of, out of perfect love for His Heavenly Father and out of perfect love for His bride, for us. And it's also our love, isn't it? It's our love because we are the recipients of that love. But we're more than just simple recipients. Right? We're, we're conduits of that love. It, it flows from God to us and from us to those around us. Think again about those 115,000 volts. It's not, enough, it's not just enough to power your toaster. When that love flows in you and through you, it is powerful enough to flow to power all of the appliances in your house and all of the houses for thousands of people around you. That's what that power is and does in God's people. <coughs> Paul wants us to understand the love of Christ and to walk in the love of Christ. But he says again in verse 19 that that this love surpasses knowledge. That he's praying that, that we would know something that is beyond the ability to know. And so again, we see the, the reliance on God, on His strength. is the only way that we could even begin to understand something that is incomprehensible. His love is so far above us and so far beyond us that, that we will never fully understand it. Even when we one day receive a glorified mind, we will still not be able to understand it. Even when we have, when we are free from sinful distractions, we will not be able to understand it. Even, even when we see Christ face to face and begin to, to walk with Him for all eternity, we will never be able to fully understand it. But you can only even begin to understand this love when you are rooted and grounded in that love. When you are rooted and grounded in that love. Look again at verse 17. And Paul uses here two metaphors, one agricultural and the other architectural. When Christ dwells in your heart in this way, you will be rooted in love. You've all seen that the walnut tree in the backyard of the manse. It's, it's massive. It's, it's got to be close to 50 feet tall and, and 40 feet wide. It, it, that tree was planted over 50 years ago when this church was first planted. 
And the other day we, we trimmed the tree a little bit and it's, it's amazing how, how heavy the branches are. This is dense wood. It's, it's not like, like spruce or, or pine or fir. This is heavy, heavy wood. It's amazing to think that, that, that such a, a huge tree would, would even be able to stand up at all. How can, a, how can a tree of that size keep from falling over? Uh, you don't need to be a, a farmer or a botanist to know it's the roots, isn't it? The, the roots of that tree that are really dug down deep into the earth. And, and walnut trees really are, are amongst the most drought tolerant of, of trees because their roots dig down very deep. And a, and a mature tree that the roots often go down 15 feet and they spread wide out from the, the, the trunk of the tree as well. This is a tree that is dug down deep. The walnut tree didn't start out that way, did it? It, it started out as a, as a little golf ball sized walnut. Now if you like walnuts, come and see me, I'll, I'll set you up. But, but you can see those, those walnuts, what will happen in the, in the fall is that there will be a little root that will start to come out from that nut and we'll dig into the ground and, and if you leave it very soon you'll have a forest of walnut trees in your backyard. But the, but the walnut tree, it's really interesting that, that it's like most trees, before it can grow up, it has to grow down. Right? Before the tree grows up, it has to grow down and if there's a lack of moisture, those roots will go even deeper to find more water. It's not uncommon for young walnut trees to have, have roots that, that are as dug deep into the ground as they are above the ground. And then once that tree is fully established, it can, it can grow very quickly. It can grow up to three feet in a single year. We live in arid spiritual conditions, don't we? need our roots to be dug down deep in order for us to be able to grow up in Christ. We need to not be satisfied with the, the level of spirituality that we have attained, but, but we need to dig down even deeper into Christ. That we grow in stature like a, like a beautiful tree. Paul says we also need to be grounded in love. Well, this again, he echoes a metaphor that, that he had used there at the end of chapter 2, that, that, that the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And then the whole structure grows up until it is a holy temple for the Lord. So, so the church is, a, is described as a building, as a dwelling place for God. And, and so here this, this being grounded refers to the foundation. And only when a, when a building, like with a tree, only when a building has a solid foundation can it grow up tall. Have you ever watched a, a high-rise being built? We had ringside seats with the, the new children's hospital that was being built in Vancouver because it was... It's, Liam, thankfully, had a room that was the only room in the NICU that had a window. And, and so we had opportunity to watch that building growing up right before our very eyes. But for ages, it seemed like they were, like they were digging into the ground. And, and it, it was, I don't know how long it was, before anything began to appear above the surface of the ground. They, they dug a deep and a firm foundation. But once that foundation was laid, the superstructure of the building came up very quickly. And over the past couple of years, as we've gone back for further visits, we can, we can see that the work has still continued, but, but they're a long way from finished. The superstructure was finished over a year ago, and they're, they're about a year away from being able to move in. Because they have to continue the, all the, the final touches, all the, the fixtures of the building, the, the plumbing and the, the electricity and the, the walls and the ceiling and hanging doors, and especially complicated in a hospital. Well, we're really like that, aren't we? The, the, the foundation has been dug deep. That foundation is Christ. And, and we have grown up in Christ, but God is, is still working on us. There's still finishing touches, many, many finishing touches that, that need to be made. But, but again, we need to not be content. 
that God here is, Paul's prayer is that, that God would, would establish a foundation even more because he wants to, he doesn't want to just live the building at the height it is, he wants to add more stories. God wants to do things in your life, brothers and sisters, that, that you have not even begun to imagine. God wants to work in you and through you to, to make you grow in Christ's likeness in the, in the ways that he's going to talk about with the rest of, of this letter. If you're in Christ, you will grow in stature. Because it, it is God. He is the one who is doing it. Well, very quickly, the, the, the third and the, the final petition Paul prays that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Does that arrest your attention? That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. What does that even mean? What does it even mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? This is... This is something, as I said, this sounds almost impudent that anyone would ask, God, fill me up with all of you. Who could even ask such a thing? Well, the Apostle Paul could. And if you were in Christ, you can as well. Because this is building on everything that has come before. So, so, so to be filled with all the fullness of God, I, I think what this means here is that he is saying that, that, that this love of God, is all of his communicable attributes, his love and his mercy and his, and his, 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 his generosity, his grace, his, his faithfulness, and all of his, his communicable, communicable attributes, all the things that we can receive as human beings, that God wants to fill us up with all of that. And Paul is praying to that end. Paul is praying that the, the Ephesians, and again by extension, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. But it's not just as an end unto itself. It, it's, it's for a purpose. It's that we might better reflect Christ. Right? Is that so that we might be more better reflections of Christ and, and better able to glorify His holy name? That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Thinking again about plugging that toaster into 115,000 volts. This is mind blowing. This is mind blowing. J. Armitage Robinson. Wonders, he says that, that, that no prayer has ever been framed that has uttered a bolder request. See, this is the most bold prayer that has ever been offered by anyone, anywhere, at any time. John Stott says that this defies even the beginnings of our understanding. This is going to lead Paul into the doxology in the final two verses of chapter 3. This is, Paul, Paul is, is saying, he, he knows that this is mind-blowing. He says that, now, this is crazy that I'm asking this, but, but I know that to him was able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or, or think according to his power at work within us. This power is already at work, so I'm praying in accordance with that. With God's power that's already at work, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations ever and ever. Amen. And then with verses 4 to 6, he says what it looks like. What it looks like for God to be glorified in the church throughout all generations. It's one of people who are empowered by that power that he's just prayed for, that when they begin to walk in their lives in the abundance of that power, their lives change. Their families change. Their church changes. Their community changes. When God's power is at work, and it is, 
This is what happens. But it's, it's not like flicking on a switch. It's, it's so often, it's, it's by degrees. Yes, there's sometimes that you experience a, a real jump in growth in your sanctification. But most often, it's, it's incrementally. It's by degrees as we grow in Christ-likeness. You don't, if you look at that walnut tree, you don't see it growing day to day. But when you look at your kids, you don't, you don't see them, oh wow, you, you grew you grew a lot today. No, it's, it's, you see that, they, that the growth comes gradually over time. When God's power is really at work. Imagine. Imagine what your life would look like if you began to really get a, get a, a grasp as much as is humanly possible in the power of God it is in your frail human mind and, and body. Imagine if, if that started to happen in you, if you began to grow in, as you begin to grow in that knowledge. Imagine what would happen in your family. Again, is it, nobody else in your family might change. You could be the only Christian in your family. But as you begin to grow in this, going to change. Or in the church. In this church where we have, by God's grace, we have not just one person, but a lot of people who are, are true believers in Jesus Christ and that really have that power at work in them. Just think, as that power grows, let's pray together that we would abound in that power. Let's pray that, that, that God would make us a people like that, that we would live out the, the power that is at work in us, that God's power would, would be evident in us as a church body. This is why I'm desperate for us to get this. Again, I can't make this happen. You can't even make this happen. God has to make this happen. So let's pray to Him. Let's seek His face. Let us, let us wrestle with God. Let us be bold in the confidence that we have before Him to ask Him, God, would you do that in me? Are you willing to pray that prayer? Are you willing to ask God to do that in you? If you do, again, I guarantee, doesn't matter, my guarantee isn't, isn't worth much, but God guarantees that your life will be completely different. Are you willing to pray that prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are in deep, deep water here. We have discussed things that stretch our minds. Lord, we have discussed things that stretch our hearts. Lord, that we could pray that you would work in us by your Spirit to cause Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. That we'd have strength to comprehend the, the width and the breadth and the height and the depth and that the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, we are weak. We are frail. We are sinful. We cannot understand this. And sadly, so often we don't want to understand this because we enjoy our sin and our comfortable lives too much. Lord, would you forgive us for our failures? Lord, would you help us to get even a glimpse of your love. The love that you showed when you sent your son to die for our sins. Lord Jesus, the, the, the love that you demonstrated when you died for our sins. Holy Spirit, the love that you work in us 
as part of your fruit. Lord, help us all as individuals and as a church family. Help us, Lord, to grow in these things. That your name might be exalted in our midst and in this community. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's sing Here is Love. Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.